0: Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave.
1: And I'm John. And welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies both new and old with a strictly positive critical eye.
0: That's right. And to avoid any lazy negativity, we are making this a drinking game. A drinking game. Drink. Any negative criticism about a film is absolutely allowed, but it will be called out for... Is that the right phrasing? It will be called out for? Yeah. yeah. uh, You will be called out for it, and you will have to take a drink. (sighs) Nailing it, dude. You're nailing it. Right before we started,
1: folks, he was like, I'm going to nail the intro today.
0: Keep going. Don't stop. Don't stop. I fucked it up. No, that's it. Dave buzzed me so they know what we're talking about.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that means I have a drink. That's the noise. When you hear that noise, Jeff is drinking this entire episode. So <laughs> everyone else pour yourself a glass, join us, and give it up for the films we love and uh perhaps the films we need some love. I don't know if we can back this one this week. We got some good selections. No, this good is a really week, really, let's, really, let's really, see, really we go. good week. Let's see what yeah, we got. Yeah, we're yeah, gonna be 1989. Talking about, we're Jesus. gonna be
0: talking about a couple of films from the year 1989, which is a yes. pretty pretty good film year. But before we get into our films that we will be discussing, let's kick it over to John for a few shout outs.
1: All right, as always. Gonna shout out our beer sponsor. He's still in our hearts. I still drink a dream about his beers, uh Carlos Barozzo. Give him a follow on Instagram at cbarozobar 2019. That's C-B-A-R-R-O-Z-O-B-A-R 2019. And as always, the music you hear on this episode and every episode is provided by the artist Dasign. That's Dasine D-A-S-E-I-N. You can find all the music on soundcloud.com forward slash Dasine dash artist. All right. Woo.
0: Okay. So, We're in. so movie year 1989 it included films such as Oliver Stone's second directing Oscar for *Born on the Fourth of July*, starring Tom Cruise. The world found out who Daniel Day-Lewis was. Oh, he's that guy. And Fiona <laughs> Shaw in *My Left Foot*. *Steel Magnolias*. *The Abyss*. *Indiana Jones* in *The Last Crusade*. *Parenthood*. Batman. That's right. Batman, Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson, Tim Burton. Batman. Glory. Yeah, glory. Denzel Washington's first acting Oscar. Cinema Paradiso, a fantastic film, not in the English language. The Little Mermaid, which completed the renaissance of Disney, or at least began the renaissance of Disney. All Dogs Go to Heaven, Little Nemo, and somehow, out of all of these fantastic films... Driving Miss Daisy, the big film at the Oscars that year. Good play. Mm. Good play, I think. Interesting film. But the three films that we are going to be discussing are Do the Right Thing, also known as Is Spike Lee the Combination of Martin Scorsese and Nostradamus? Dead Poets Society, also known as Robin Williams Learned a Lot from Eating Mushrooms. Or (laughs) Roadhouse, a.k.a. what happens when the world's most badass dancer runs a bar in town where knife salesmen have every person armed with fucking daggers. That is, oh my God. Every single person is a fucking knife that they pull out. Yep. Roadhouse is going to be our redemption of the week. For those of you new to the podcast, we pick a film from the the, the film year that we're discussing and um, we try to give, it, give a film another look with some fresh eyes. Now, Roadhouse is certified rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. I believe it is 39%. But we've heard such good things and we have to shout out Family Guy for having a fantastic episode, as I'm sure Dave and John are going to give us some quotes about Roadhouse. So please stick around for our Roadhouse segment at the end of this. But we are going to start out with our segment, What You've Been Watching, before we get into our first film that we'll be discussing, which is Do the Right Thing. Mm. Uh, who wants to go first with our What You Watching?
2: I'll go first. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, dude, hit it. I, I actually, uh, yeah, apart from what we had to watch, I caught uh, the new movie Palm Springs. Oh, the Hulu just released. Uh, Andy Samberg, uh, Kristen Milioti and yeah. J.K. Simmons cannot speak highly enough about this as a romantic comedy as a date night film. I don't think you'll find one better. Wow. It is so well put together. It's the one of the best new films of the year in my opinion so far. Dave,
0: high praise. That, I mean I know
2: I know that's not saying much, but like because we haven't had a lot of new films this year because everything got postponed, but yeah, it's it's a fantastic film. It's kind of it's similar to Groundhog Day and Russian Doll uh in that there's a time loop aspect, uh cool. but there's a couple of really really good twists on the to the point and they the the thing i love the most i think is that they don't spoon feed the audience Mm -hmm. so there is there are things that happen at the beginning of the film that you notice and you're like what's that about and you don't get a payoff till 45 minutes later or 20 minutes later and you're like oh that's why that happened so it's yeah it's it's i really really cannot recommend enough also holds the record for the largest purchase of a film at sundance film festival by 69 cents (laughs) <laughs> 17 million 69 cents
0: 17 million at sundance i do feel yeah. like every year there's a new sundance record but like 17 million at sundance is
2: a lot it's i mean it was worth it everyone wanted this film i'm sure because yeah. i loved it everybody cool. that like we all sat down as a group and watched it we were glued it was it's very entertaining those two uh it's probably the best combination of like actor, actress in a romantic comedy I've seen since uh, I would say 50 First Dates and uh, the Adam Sandler. Holy
0: shit.
1: Mm. Uh,
2: early stuff. Yeah. What awesome. streaming
1: service did you say it was on? That's on, on, it's, on it's on
2: Hulu. It's on Hulu. It's on Hulu. Yeah, it's a Hulu original. Cool, dude. Wow. Yeah. Nice. They did, they did good. John? I. Um, <clears throat> did I say I
1: watched. Silence of the lambs last time <laughs> yes These weeks you are all blending watched- together oh, yeah, yeah, so i think yeah, i yeah. finished that i think i watched the red dragon i know i said that but i definitely watched Silence of the lambs recently i can't remember if that was before last week um awesome amazing uh i watched twister no oh, uh. yeah. with with high hopes so i did i did what you guys just did i was like you know what i'm feeling the mood to watch like a fun big actiony movie i've seen it on tv so many times uh it was not a, a letdown by any means, but it didn't grab me the way uh, it, it grabbed me when I was younger. Boo. Um, yeah. Still had Boo still had you. fun, still had fun watching it. I was I, not I, fucking surprised at all when I saw the end credits come up. Did you? Got, I'm sure. I'm sure you guys may have just assumed this as well. Of course, that was fucking produced by Kathleen Kennedy and Steven Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was. I didn't know, but of course it fucking That's was. So, so that happened. I watched these movies. I'm still trudging through Next Generation, and I watched horror movie that i can't remember oh i've been watching those unsolved mysteries too on netflix the reboot
0: are they good you like them
1: fun stuff fun stuff because shout out to one of our friends who listens to this i won't say his name him and his lady are staying in the berkshires right now episode five is about a ufo experience in the berkshires and i'm not fucking kidding it happened like right next to where they are staying right now (laughs) like down the fucking street
2: (laughs) Stay so, uh, up at I night. Fucking cool. Good good luck to John's friend. Um, yeah, good luck. Look yeah. out for those green lights.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. How about you? What are you watching?
0: I hope they wake up and go, what did we do last night? I don't remember. Oh, they sent me, yeah. me
1: a fucking picture of their dog that keeps running out to that same fucking yeah. field. Of course they brought a dog the there. <laughs> Yeah. Of course it's fucking it's Casey dude they're, four, they're, four, they're four, Oh
0: my god we spoiled the name wait that's so funny oh my god he's probably eating that shit up too oh my god oh my god <laughs> first time shit. he's had fun. a beard good, in four it is years. well
1: done i did enjoy the series is fun anyway
0: um shout out to Casey for being able to grow out his quarantine beard for the first time in four years he had to keep clean hey shaving yo. for his job and now he gets a beard hey good yo. for you case
2: Case, we're having, having
0: a crawfish boil for you tonight. Okay, um,
2: <laughs> where I, are
0: you? <laughs> where I, is it? I've had a pretty busy week, so I didn't watch any films. But i i finished I finished the season of Queer Eye, which, by the way, guys, is fucking awesome. All right, I don't care what you guys say; it's probably my favorite reality TV show. I did a, um, I took a quiz, and I'm Bobby, which I um, I shouted so loud, I shouted so so loudly when I found out that I was Bobby, which is awesome. Bobby is the hero. Of Queer Eye, Chloe and I both agree on that. What have you learned? No what asked. have you learned from yeah. from
1: this experience?
0: I've definitely learned that that show is way more of a um, it's a, a it's like a um, therapy session more so than it is anything else. Also, with a lot of money, <laughs> with a lot of money, you can really get a lot of good renovations do done. Yeah all of a sudden people come home and they're like see you should have been living in this house the whole time and they were like you just did a full gut reno like like come on you just did like a t- and they're like look at you you should be dressing like this and they're like these sneakers are 280 dollars, like come on i work at a bookstore but anyway i love queer eye it's great i also watched two episodes of dance moms and one episode of my cat from hell shout out to all those. Fucking- this is not a great i did my homework though which is fantastic yeah, you, know what else <laughs> is gra- you know what else
2: is a great <laughs> reality tv show hanging with fucking friends like seriously yeah. don- don't watch this crap no, Mike. No. Come on, Dave. Go buzz oh. your fucking self. Uh,
0: also, there's That's a, a print, reality TV also, reminder. There's the um, expletive warning for everybody, because especially when we get to Roadhouse, we're going to be talking about some expletives. Also, over two and a half expletives per minute. Do the Right Thing. The first film that we are going to be yeah. talking about. Now, it has been 31 years. For those of you who are, everybody's probably heard of Do the Right Thing, right? It's it's probably Spike Lee's. I don't want to say it's his best known film, but it's like his signature film. I, I think it's fair. I think mm-hmm. I, I would say that his signature film. So This is 1989. It is uh, about a basically a, a block, but really just like a sh- like one tiny section, more or less one corner of um, a street in Bed Stuy, Brooklyn, on the hottest day of the year, 1989. Um, for your musical theater buffs, it's basically In the Heights, but in Brooklyn, and it came first. There is a Paraguay guy, there's Calor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, In the Heights is basically Do the Right Thing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) let's,
1: Let's get that right.
0: There are vignettes of all of the characters. So even though I guess Spike Lee himself was cast as the... Uh, role of Mookie you could consider him to be the through line of the film but for the most part it's vignettes it's every character has their own little storyline and you watch the street it is incredible we're going to talk a lot about it Um, but it's extremely relevant to what's going on right now in the Black Lives Matter movement because let's just say there is a moment where there's a disagreement with the pizzeria owner or as he calls himself pizzeria the pizzeria owner who is played by Danny Aiello as Sal's. Um, mm. And that disagreement leads to the cops showing up. And let's just say it does not go well when the cops show up. There is the death in the hands of the police. I don't mind spoiling that because of how relevant it is to today. And this is 31 years ago. This is 31 years ago. It's a very, very simple misunderstanding that got out of control, turned into a fight, that turned into the cop showing up, that turned into a person dying and dragging them home. And watching that, I the rest of the film is so alive with color and character and noise and music. And it's incredible that when that happens, it's just like, it just hits you like a yeah. fucking ton of bricks every single time. It is, this film I'm sure is sure that was fantastic. On purpose. Yeah. Well, and there was an incident yeah. in, in 1986 that I'd never heard of for me. Rodney King was yeah. the beginning of this movement and Rodney King was after do the right thing. So this predates OJ, this predates do the right thing. Like that's what I said at the beginning where he's Nostradamus, like how, ha- this, of course, this, was, was this has been happening. I mean, yeah, yeah this I don't has know, been I mean, happening I don't know. for know ever. Yeah,
2: this wasn't a prediction. This this right. was his slice of life. Right. This He was yeah. him writing yeah. from experience. Yeah, for sure. I have, Absolutely. So,
0: I, have, I have so many notes. I know we're starting out kind of serious. Hopefully we can still have fun because this is a really, really fun movie to talk about. But I'll say I that. I mean, it's, um, a, it's
2: a fun movie up until like the incident exactly. where
0: everything goes pear shaped. And and I'm sure like, that's by design. Yeah. And, and the last yeah. thing I'll say, the last thing I'll say about that, that is that, um, Kim Basinger presented the Oscars. So the Oscars this year was all about Driving Miss Daisy and fucking Dead Poets, which we're going to talk about soon. Very white films, very like white people solve racism type things. And Kim Basinger was presenting the award for Best Picture. And Kim Basinger got up to the stand and unscripted, obviously, said, we've got five great films here. Do the Right Thing was not nominated. We've got five great films here, and they're great for one reason. They all tell the truth. But one film is missing from the list that deserves to be on it because, ironically, it might tell the biggest truth of all, and that is do the right thing. So, as she's presenting the Oscar in the nineteen eighty nine year, so this is in nineteen ninety, Kim Basinger basically says, "Do the right thing" should be up here. Like it's almost like she knew this was the film that was going to represent this year. This is the film that's going to go into the mm. catalog of all films, and it's it's to me one of the most truthful, best films I've ever seen in my life. So, who wants to go first? Absolutely,
1: it's definitely it's one of those. I don't I don't want to like go on a rant or anything, but just right. to fall off of that that. How often does that happen where we think we we, sometimes we wish the Academy Awards would would award the film that we need to consider the best picture that year. And they so scarcely do. This is one of those times it's not even nominated. It wasn't even nominated. And when you look back on those films, great, great films. And we're going to talk about one other film that is fantastic that was nominated. And it was a great year for movies. But to not even be nominated. Fuck you. Are you yeah, fucking kidding me? That is fucking crazy. So just like um, I think you said this is like, you know, his flagship film, it's like comparing Scorsese's to like Taxi Driver, like the first yeah. like monster iconic work. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about it. Dave, how many times have you seen this movie? Is this your second or third or first? or
2: um, Second, I saw it once ages and ages ago. Um, yeah. So it was my second watch through. I didn't really get it first time and i i think that's definitely my fault um yeah i'm gonna talk about the same thing dude tell me having having gone through like now living here and going gone through what we've just all gone through um it it had a much more definite impact on me yeah um when i yeah yeah, i because i like i i love this movie like i i now like even something as simple as the interior lighting setups in the apartments and everything like i having lived in new york now it's like yeah i've seen those apartments I love that the lighting in that thing just accentuates every little floor in the room but also manages to convey, like, the heat of the day and the oppression of the situation that, like, you feel yeah. claustrophobic in those rooms. You feel, like, compressed. You feel yeah trapped. It's a palpable, suffocating aesthetic. But it's yeah. still got... It's
1: full of life. Though. It's about to burst mm. the color. Yeah, and, and, then, and then the you... Color, you know, like, right? But in,
2: in the houses, it's it's dark and it's, like not as not as vibrant as anything else and then you go outside in the street and the street is life yes yeah. and that's when you get the color you get this wonderful like it's incredible upward, color yeah the wonderful Ooh, upward wow. shots where they've just like they've managed to like not flare out the sky and capture like just all different perspectives of that new york street
1: that fucking red wall behind the three guys on the yes. corner is yeah. unbelievable. I mean, those three guys, so sexy. It's like, I mean, that is one of the <laughs> amazing greatest... performances. Amazing performances in this movie. Those three dudes teach yeah. you. This is how you do small supporting actor roles. Those guys fucking steal it every time they're on screen. What
2: you yep. saying, Jeff? Wasn't I their mean, dialogue improvised as well? Yeah, I saw that in uh, the ha- IMDb trivia. Yeah, ha- a um, lot of that. Hmm. MTV, right? I didn't. I didn't know um, that. Yeah, that, that's a great see, thing. Like all, all of that is improvised.
0: I actually want to ask you about a couple filming things that we could, we don't have to talk about the Academy Awards, but it probably is like an excuse for the Academy Awards critics to say something. But for me, it works really effectively. But in one second, Spike does this thing. He's, he's an educator, right? So he, he's always, Oh yeah. He's always letting the audience know whether you want to or not. You know that he's, he's aware of what's, of of the education of film like he's not just flailing and he's not just doing what he wants like he clearly has the the technique he clearly has the the um education and so for Mm -hmm. instance in um Five bloods which we all i think those uh john definitely saw it it it's very heavy with the apocalypse now references right and then eventually sierra madre but apocalypse now it's like throwing it at your face and then other aspects of the film, which is great. It's really, really fun. And this movie, for instance, it opens with a dance sequence with Rosie Perez. Rosie Perez is just Mm -hmm. dancing to a public enemy song. And I I looked it up online, but it's actually a reference to Bye Bye Birdie where the opening of the Bye 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 Birdie film has a, a dance. And so this is basically like a modern local Brooklyn dance with with her Rosie Perez doing this to open this film and you have no idea what's about to go on even if you listen to this podcast you're gonna watch this dance and watch the title scroll and you're gonna go what the hell like this is what a what a weird and interesting choice but like
2: that's exactly the reaction I had what the hell I was I was set to the first time I saw that I was set to really not enjoy this film yeah, really? but it's like and yeah, I, I didn't get it. I had no right. idea what he was going for at that point.
0: And then there, there's a play that came out in the 20s that's sort of known in the in the theater world called uh, Street Scene, which is based on a block in Brooklyn and the tw- and it's written in the 20s, but it's basically the same. It's supposed to be like the 1800s, and it's similar gentrification. All these all these conversations, things that we're talking about today, they're talking about gentrification in this movie. They literally said mm-hmm. the, that word. I'd, I'd never even heard that word associated with Brooklyn until they're talking about global warming in this. They're talking movie, about global bro. warming. Yeah. And those were the three guys who are, yeah. so, quote unquote, uneducated, who had, like, grotesque names like Sweet Dick Willie, and he's talking about global warming, and you sit there, and it's like, (laughs) these people are, they're like Shakespearean clowns. Like, they're the most brilliant ones in the entire movie. Um, But back to the filmmaking of this, he does two things really, really interesting that I'm curious what you guys think about that. Number one, he does a lot of handheld. So handheld, if you, if you, what, what that means is that when you watch it, it almost looks like the camera's moving in a way. It's not even, it's not steady. Whereas a lot of the other films at this time with maybe had more budgets or whatever. So it's a little bit more polished, a little bit more clean. Whereas when you're watching this, it does seem a little, um, a little rocky, a little shaky, for instance. So there's a lot of handheld, uh, And then the other one is a lot of breaking the fourth wall, which is very risky for a filmmaker to do, especially if you overdo it. So for this particular thing, because of the vignettes, it works so fucking well. But, oh, the other thing I want to talk about is... But the times that it's still, the characters are larger than life, if that makes sense. So the three things, push-ins, the the handhelds, the the direct-to-camera, but also whenever it's still, the actors are never standing still. Look at Giancarlo um, Esposito, fucking Giancarlo Esposito. He is exploding all over the screen with so much life and so much... You would never do that in a film. Watch a TV show now, and it's like they can barely move without, like, fucking up the camera. So anyway, how did the filmmaking that seems... It, it 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 seems to maybe like an untrained eye that he has no idea what he's doing, but you know that's not the case. So how, what what did
2: what did you make of that? I think. Well, I mean, he used he used so many great techniques as well. Like uh, I was actually having a discussion with someone just before this podcast on the phone about um, this movie, and uh, she referenced the double dolly shot that they do, oh, yeah. where you put the camera and the actor on a set on a dolly a spike Lee shot, dude. Yeah, and I was like. Oh, yeah. And like, I, I knew it was there, but I didn't recognize it for what it was at, at the beginning. And she put me under it. And I, yeah, it's 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 almost like a patented thing that now that like people imitate.
1: Yeah, I mean, he. All right. So Ernest R. Dickerson his, uh his DP. They went to NYU together. And just before we begin this conversation, let's just what, what spinning off exactly what you were saying. Spike cares about film pedagogy and film history. And he understood, I think at the time even he understood, because this was not his first film, folks, but he, right. this was the first one that he fucking nailed it, I think. And mm. that shot was something that they have done as a signature move in all of his films and did it before. And they were talking about, even in this film, that one is always kind of a tentpole that they will remind themselves nothing we do can be unmotivated. So if we're going to try to have a style, how the fuck do you create your own style? Well, that comes from just developing your own voice. I think he understood whether he knew it or not. I hope it wasn't intellectual. I hope it was just them working together and realizing this is how you got to tell this story. The moving handheld stuff, it's not the uh, floating God Steadicam that we see in a lot of moving camera techniques. It's visceral. Right? It's visceral. It is the life of the street. It is the point of view of that street. It's kinetic.
2: It has life. Yeah. You're you're essentially a resident of that street.
1: Yeah. You get to go on the ride with them. You get to feel the music with them. There is always music in the background. There's a rhythm to the cinematography as well as the editing, which is also very, very uh, kinetic and has a lot of life. And you're right, dude. When you said the stillness and the actors are coming to life, I know what you mean about those up-close shots of Carlos when he's like yelling at the guy. That's a wonderful example. I also love, uh, it's not a completely still shot, but it's definitely on a tripod, the slow pans right before the conflict in the pizzeria. When you see everyone in up-close and they're all looking at each other out of side eyes and it's so still, but they are taking up so much weight in the frame. It helped build this tension and all all of a sudden you're uncomfortable because the camera doesn't have a life to it anymore. It's like the calm before the storm. So, fuck yeah. These guys know what the fuck they were doing. I don't know if you can say that this is the first time he showed any of those techniques, but obviously he nailed it. We're still talking about t- – you wanted to start this conversation with how amazing technically it is. And he made this whole fucking thing on a low budget on one block in Brooklyn.
2: Yeah. Like, hats off Hats off just for that. <laughs> mm. I mean in regards to the fourth wall stuff that you were talking about breaking the fourth wall I feel like in this case it it was a deliberate choice especially in uh this one sequence where it cuts between I think it's four of the characters and they're just mm-hmm. shouting racial slurs straight down the barrel of the camera yeah. mm-hmm. and they're shouting them at you he's putting you in the pit in the position of the person right. receiving he's like spend, spend a day here in our shoes this is this is what he you said yeah. he
1: said he said on that interview that I, I referenced last time, I said that I, because if anyone is following along, I watched this a couple of weeks ago when he gave that uh, AFI interview celebrating mm. the, Jesus, the 30th, what is it, 40th, 30th? No, it's 30, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 30th year. And he said, um, he said, I don't like when people, he said, I personally don't like to try to have the wool pulled over my eyes when I'm watching a movie. I know I'm watching a movie and I want people to know they're watching a movie. And one of the ways I do that are certain kinds of camera moves. One of the ways I do that is finding the right time to talk to the camera. He does it in a lot of his movies. Yeah. Um, this monologue that you're talking about, these sections of monologues where they're just fucking screaming at each other and mm-hmm. all the different people get to yell racial slurs. It reminded me, of the legendary, amazing Ed Norton, fuck you monologue from 25th Hour into the mirror in the bathroom.
0: I wrote that down, I mean, yeah. Spike Lee so directed Spike it. Lee.
1: And he had somebody, it was great in that interview because he had a young, it was an AFI directorial candidate from the conservatory that was asking him, when do you know when it's okay to talk to camera, to break that fourth wall? And he said, of course, just like anything else, it's only when it's motivated. You're not doing it out of a masturbatory uh, means. But- if you are trying to say something and there is a creative way to cut through and just speak directly to the audience and it doesn't slow your story down, it can be extremely effective. And I think we all agree, like, how did you feel when that section was over? Were you like, were you emotionally affected? Did, did you feel like the story stopped for you at all? Or were it, you like, oh shit, now I'm a part of this?
2: No, it was, it was definitely, uh, it was tension building because it was placed at just the right point where you've seen the different dynamics that exist on the street and now you're getting just a little glimpse of the inner monologue of each of those groups
0: yeah exactly yes. I, I felt like it was and i was it, getting it to was know like the, g- it was like this s-
2: the simmering inner voice of everyone on the block and it was coming right at your face that's exactly it, i, I it thought it that same of, thing it, it was real a really good tension building device in my opinion yeah because in what so many think, other Jeff movies about? they
0: have to write their way in and out of stuff like that and this is basically like this is my subtext this is what i'm feeling right now so rather than having to pass pass it away or like try to write your way in and out of it it's just right at your fucking face this is what i'm thinking this is what i'm feeling i just want to say these things and if we're if we're getting even more realistic about spike and how well prepared he was for this film you take someone like danny aiello who was um sal and he's you know probably the second biggest character of the of the movie after. Um, Mookie played by Spike Lee Um, so he owns the pizzeria it's an Italian American pizzeria in the middle of black primarily black both Spanish and a little bit of Korean Brooklyn but primarily black Brooklyn Um, and he goes back and forth where it seems you could tell that he has a short fuse and he's willing to pull the race card very quickly which obviously is not okay Um, but you know just to continue with his story and you see all these r- people that just snap and, and as soon as they snap, they go racist, right? So so now we have this going direct to barrel, the, these monologues that mm. you're talking about. Racism straight to straight to the camera, straight to the audience. Oh, whenever I get angry, I just shoot racism out. And that ends up becoming Danny Ayello's downfall in a way when he snaps at um, Radio Raheem and all of a sudden all the racism comes out and you're like, I know he's racist, but I, I, I didn't think he would be I didn't think he would be that extreme. I didn't think it would lead to such violence. And then as soon as it was convenient for him, he did the thing where he just started using the N word and, you know, putting mm. them down and, and feeling superior, which ended up leading to the cop showing up in the death. So I'm it's, it's a, actually, it was a weird
2: foreshadowing. I'm glad you actually said yeah. that. Cause that was the one thing that didn't really sell for me is at the end. Why does Sal snap so fast? And <laughs> yeah, it right. was, it was a case of like, I'd already been told why, with the simmering monologue of everyone shouting racial slurs at the camera. So like it's there and it's sitting just underneath. And no matter how nice but Dave, I agree with you. Playing, I agree with
1: you about it, the first it was, time.
2: It, yeah, for me, it was a, that was a really big like snap. The first time I saw
1: it, though, I will shamefully admit this. I was younger. I saw this when we were in college, Jeff. So it was probably 10 or 14 yeah, or something years ago. I and I, I remember being a little bit. I wasn't judging it at all, but I remember thinking, God damn, you know, I just don't think I quite understood why they did that at the very end, except Mm. for intellectually, I understood what he was doing with the story, but emotionally, it still felt kind of distant from me. So let's give our fucking hats off to Spike Lee for not sacrificing anything to tell this story. Uh, Let's give it up to Universal Pictures. Again, he was just telling telling some stories about how he met with some other major production studios. And they said, I remember Paramount said to him, uh, we would love to make this picture, but what do you think about Sal and Mookie giving each other a hug at the end instead? Or maybe he goes and grabs the trash can and he sets it upside down, gets up and starts giving a speech about unity. And he was like, fuck you, I'm out of here. So the risk and the balls he took for he made a movie that just speaking for myself, I didn't understand until 30 years after he made it. You know what I mean? Like completely understand <laughs> yeah, yeah. it. I, so, so hats off to that. Let's just give it up. He's not just an artist who was trying to say what he wanted to say. He was a young black filmmaker who was going against the grain completely, who, even though he was educated, most people did not want this movie to come out. There were critics. Nope. There was one critic who wrote, uh, Spike Lee has made a movie that is the, uh, the same as putting a stick of dynamite under every black person's movie theater seat. That they're going to start riots, that they're going to fucking... This is going to elicit tons of violence around the country. And it took him that amount of time before we are all finally saying... This not only is this movie great critically and artistically, we're all finally, a, well, a lot of us are finally saying, this movie said something that we should have been listening to a long fucking time ago. And now I think we're all there emotionally. So it, mm. it landed even harder for me this time. I was totally oh, on board this, and I yeah, was so was,
2: affected by it. I was so, like I said, I was furious at the end of this film, this time around. Yeah. Like I'd, I'd, it had very little impact the first time I watched it. I was a lot younger and again. Um, but yeah, this time around, no, nope, it definitely triggered cool. something. But I, I love the, like, the and the thing that I, is really important is, like, this was definitely a film made to educate. Yeah. And even in, to John's point earlier, where the studio balked and what of the ending changes, it's like, these are sadly getting pushed out by blockbusters. Like, those films that are made to educate and those films that are made to not, not just popcorn entertain, you walk out and forget it five seconds later. Don't get me wrong. They're great. I'm a big fan of them. But they're getting pushed out by these big tentpole billion dollar blockbusters because they yeah. can quickly recoup their money. And that's why I think film festivals that hold a distribution market are so important in this yeah. day and age because it's the only way these films are going to get seen and we need to not stop making these films because like, nothing else really is educating at the moment.
1: Yeah, I right. completely agree. And we need producers to take chances. That guy... I, I wish I could remember his name. This is Universal Picture who who uh, distributed this and was the you know the ultimate production company. Spikes, 40 Acres and a Mule, did the hands-on production. But anyway, the guy who did this was getting death threats the whole entire time that he had greenlit this because the year before, he released Scorsese's Last Temptation of Christ. Yes. So this guy for like two three years security, in a row yeah. <laughs> had everyone yeah. trying to fucking kill him. And he was saying, no, this is the fucking point. So this is not just getting on our high horse of artists. We need everyone who's involved in this industry, audience members as well, responsible audiences. We need to go see movies like this. We need to be renting movies like this. We need to yeah. let them know that... This is how we're going to play a role in this shit. We want to see more of this stuff. And Dave, I know what you mean about how this is important and I learned something. But this is also super entertaining, wasn't it? I laughed yes. a lot oh my gosh. In this Yeah. Movie.
0: <laughs> so many complex The first half of this so movie fun.
1: is hilarious,
0: yeah. dude. Oh, my gosh. Wait, before I get to the funny did? stuff. Did me, you, have a, yeah, favorite, did you think, have a
2: favorite character?
0: Oh, yeah. wait wait, wait. let's um, talk about the cast really quick while you think about this let's talk about okay, the cast yeah, yeah. i wrote the down the cast let's talk about we've the performances. got we've got samuel jackson we've got john Turturro. we've got ozzy davis and ruby d we've got danny aiello we've got spike we've got um rosie perez we've got giancarlo esposito you may know from um better call Saul and breaking bad mm-hmm. uh and then the guy who plays smiley i had never seen him before but smiley he was awesome he's a big theater actor Uh, and Martin Lawrence film debut of Martin Lawrence yeah What a ridiculous fucking cast. And and the last thing, the last serious thing I'll say too, is there's a Korean um, sources. There's there's, It's not just black versus white. So there's like a Korean um, grocery store across the street as well. Um, And after Sal's sort of gets demolished after the police incident and yada, 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 they look to try to vandalize the street, which I think this is really fucking relevant right now too, especially for people on the right that are trying to pretend like protesting and rioting are the same thing. And they... This cr- crowd starts to go after the Korean restaurant. And the Korean guy's like, "No, I'm like you. I, I, I'm getting pre- pe- people. People are are prejudiced against me too. Like, please, I, I, I'm not a part of this. I promise you. Like, and and watch that tension of whether or not this this herd is going to demolish this Korean man's grocery store too. That tension is is like one of the that is one of the most meaningful pieces of tension I've seen in film ever. And then mm. when they ultimately decide what they decide, it was like. Uh, it, I I was like holding my breath. I didn't even realize that I was holding my breath. It is so fucking good. I feel yeah. like I'm not getting yeah. buzzed enough. So I feel like we should. We no, should no, no, no that's, to- my, that's totally my favorite. Fun. Let's all let's
1: all take a fucking buzz for not watching this movie more until this
0: yeah, fucking exactly. year. How about yeah. that? Yeah. Let's all buzz this <laughs> know what? Come on. Yeah, yeah, and let's buzz. Let's buzz all of our friends of like the white fragility market who weren't including this in the films of what to watch. Like this film was yeah. thirty years ago. Like we should be watching this and going, I cannot believe this was thirty years ago. It really mm, feels like yeah. it was made yesterday. It really, really, really. This is yeah. a once a year film. We should be the watch- buzz. I mean, think.
2: I think that was one of like, but that's one of the things that made me so angry. I think when I when I watched it because it was like it's thirty one years later and we're still in the same fucking place. Yeah. Yes. That imagine, was the first thought. How... That was the first thought I had, and I was like, oh my god. Spike Lee must
1: be pulling his fucking hair out. Imagine um, how he and any person of color yeah. must feel right now. They made, they're they literally ahead of I the can't. time. They made I something like this. I can't imagine how they feel. And we, um, fucking needed, we fucking needed a video murder in 2019 to make us think, oh, yeah. you know what? I finally understand the end of that movie that was made in 1989. Which really isn't sad. even the
0: first video murder we've seen. We've all seen other video murders. We've all seen yeah. Eric Gardner or anybody else. Like, God. It tackles
1: that complexity, that that invisible thing that you're still hearing it playing out on on the right right now, which is that uh, association with the looting and the violence and everything that there is. For for some reason, it seems, for lack of, pardon the crude words, black and white, how you, when do we jump to violence? And I feel like this movie tackles the, it, it hits the bullseye of how there is no black and white issue there. It is perfectly gray because it is always on the fucking table for people who are put in that position. It is never an option to not yeah. have it compl- on the table. They can't. What would have fucking happened at the end of this movie if 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 Mookie would have tried to to just rise above it and walk away from this? You know what would have happened? The same fucking thing would have happened next week on the next mm-hmm. hot day. So <laughs> I don't know, you guys. I, I was yeah. very ashamed of myself when we were when I was watching this again because it really it could not have been clearer to me that. Right. Uh, I respected this movie, but I don't know if I got this movie until this year, the way the way it landed for me. And I'm glad mm. you guys you're saying you kind of feel so, the same yeah, way. So
2: yeah, I I, th- I feel like we should definitely recommend that everyone give this movie a watch. And this Please may do. actually be the first segment we've done on this show where a se- like a buzzer didn't go off specifically. Wait, I'll for give you, us.
0: I'll give you a buzz. My favorite line in the movie is when. Spike Lee walks out, and Jehovah's Witnesses show up at his door, and he just looks at him and goes, "Oh hell no!" And he just walks away.
2: So that's not a buzz. That's perfectly acceptable. (laughs) And those church ladies were like, "Oh oh, fuck you." I will, I will, I will tell you though. Like, I'm sorry, but Sal's Pizza looks fucking horrible. (laughs) 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 Sal's Pizza looks bad. You're right. It doesn't look good. Those people deserve
1: better. Then that fucking shitty that's, pizza. That's right. Yeah, this exactly movie, this movie was
2: made 31 years ago, and the only you, thing we can find wrong with it is one prop.
0: <laughs> would you would you eat there if you saw John Turturro and his brother getting in a fight in the back room of the pizza place on the hottest <laughs> day of the year? If you knew, if you were there and you just heard two dudes just like fighting for fun in the back, would you walk out? I think I would. I think yeah, I would have yeah. joined Who, the boycott. Real fast. Real Dude, fast. I, walked, I, I, wanna, I walked
2: into a McDonald's the other day and no one was wearing face masks, and I walked out yeah
0: exactly yeah
2: <laughs>
1: fucking yeah wear your fucking mask people uh no, it, was the, it was the people on. in the kitchen jesus yeah. christ oh my god i was Come out on of it i was like oh hey, my hey. god oh my god i wonder if anyway i want yeah. uh, i don't want to leave this without asking because we were almost we almost asked it earlier what are your favorite performances your favorite character favorite performance this is some amazing acting that's happening in a very stylized piece there is some amazing mm. acting that's happening around this
0: who stuck I, out to you
2: i Who's really dug favorite? the mayor Oh mayor. my god! Dude, me Davis.
1: too. He's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is. He was my favorite
0: role for sure. Second was... choice. It's so you see this in film all the time. The first choice was um, was um. Oh fuck! I knew it was gonna escape me. Um, the voice of Darth Vader, <laughs> James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. <laughs> James Earl Jones is the first wow. choice. Yeah, but but mm. but the, the mayor is married to Ruby D in real life. Um, so that worked out really Fantastic. well. Fantastic. But Ozzy was, was fucking awesome.
1: That's my favorite yeah. character as well. But, but I, everyone. Blew me away with performance-wise. I'm not gonna say he was like the best actor. I think everyone was great, but that character really stabbed me in the heart. I I was very touched.
0: I like I like Giancarlo Esposito as um, busting out, busting up. He the way he does bugging
1: out, bugging bugging out. out. Sorry, sorry, sorry.
0: (laughs) The way he does. The Jordan sequence when his, which also came up in uh, the, um, <laughs> yeah, the Last oh Dance gosh. documentary when his Jordans get smudged, it's like it, it is a vignette that is caricatured in the most perfect way. Their body it's movements perfect. when he's freaking out on the white guy that like bought the brownstone next door but smudged his sneaker, yeah. and it's like he bought so a brownstone, good. just buy him a new pair of sneakers. You just smudged his sneakers, and oh my god, it was so fucking funny. Yeah, Giancarlo for me. I didn't yeah, recognize Icy him at Davis first too.
1: Uh, Everyone's great. John Turturro was really fantastic. Spike did a pretty good job. Spike Axel in a lot of his early movies. I like him as yeah. Mookie. He didn't bother me at all. Same. I just want to give one quick shout out to my brother reminded me of this. Uh, Hey Arnold does an episode that happens on the hottest day of the year on their block. And it ends with them taking over the ice cream guy's place. So total <laughs> shout out. Hey, oh, hey Arnold, right Brandon, thing. shout out. They knew what was up great movie please go watch this
0: movie folks rent this movie it's not available to stream
1: anymore but it's worth renting it is worth the rental favor we had to sit down and watch it
0: enjoy yourself all right we're gonna be right back with a little dead poet society starring the one and only legend robin williams see you in a second
2: And we're back. We're back. We're back.
0: That was so much fun. John's almost back. <laughs> so much fun talking about do the right thing. By the way, guys, I got a um, I got an update. My, my dad Gary O said he uh, really liked the last two pods. There were a couple of fewer f bombs and um, a lot of good analysis last really? two weeks. So uh, so Gary O, glowing review. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> no, um, seriously, no, no, we did, yeah, we did good. So we're off to awesome. a good start so far this episode. We have, ro- yeah. we have Roadhouse. We have Roadhouse coming up, so uh, yeah, we're gonna
1: uh, say a couple F bombs <laughs> in that guy. You might just want to skip it, brother. This gonna be pretty bad. Yeah, but Roadhouse. Dead
0: Poets we'll talk about. So we're talking Roadhouse. now about Dead Poets. Now, reminder at the end of the segment, Dave is going to use his random year generator to pick a random year of which we are going to be discussing films in our next week's podcast. So stick around for the end of the segment for that. So this film, Dead Poets Society, won an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. It did beat Spike Lee whatever so this that was the one film robin williams did not win although his his role was actually smaller than you may remember yeah um, he's not really the lead robert John leonard's probably the lead of the film um but yeah robert robin lost the daniel day lewis for my left foot anyway forget about the oscars we're talking about a peter Weir directed film fantastic film not a single black person in this movie <laughs> dead poet society <laughs> who wants to go first when we talk about this
2: <laughs> well i no, can't follow I mean, that junkie go first
1: <laughs> i could not well you could i could not help but think about that when i was watching i was like wow we yeah we could have. after i want to do the right thing and then this is like all right so Deadpool society jeff do you want to set it up a little bit about what it's about and stuff or i can do it if you want me to the, no
0: yeah so got, you go ahead you can do it this time
1: so it, it's about a prep school like a very nice boarding school prep school that is Called, I can't remember what it's called. It's Exeter. Exactly what you right? think it is. Heldon. No, Winchester. Heldon. Winchester, does that sound right? Anyway, uh, the guy who wrote this went to one. It's based on his experience at a boarding school, prep school in somewhere in Tennessee. And it's uh, the upper crust of fucking white society. It's all boys. It is all about honor and code and discipline. And it's set, it's period piece set in like, what do you think this is set in? 50s? 50s? 60? Yeah. 50s? Yeah. So um, and it's all about higher learning, basically, at a young age and learning about the discipline of that. And Robin Williams comes into these kids' lives and shakes it up by teaching them how you really are supposed to approach life using, I mean, for lack of a better word, an, an artist's perspective. He uses the word poet, but it's basically how to squeeze the marrow out of life by trying to find meaning and not just living based on memorization of these higher concepts, but actually being affected by what you're learning and having life affect you. So yeah, this is like the exact fucking opposite. Spoiler alert for (laughs) anyone who has never seen spoiler alert for anyone who has never seen this movie. I can't, I can't, I have to say it out loud. Somebody gets killed at the end of do the right thing for not doing the wrong thing. Or or for, yeah, for not doing the wrong thing and bad circumstances present themselves and there is a cop killing of what is, you know, an innocent black person on the street in Bedford. And then a white guy at this boarding school kills himself at the end of this movie because he can't be in a play. I mean, it's just like, I could not stop. Like, it's a great movie. I'm going to praise it for the rest of it, but I could not stop laughing at the fact. I kind of like, forgot about is there it. Come anything, on, there's there there a little bit more, more than white that. privilege than, <laughs> than suicide over not being in a fucking all right. play? Well, okay, I'm not even you're, gonna you're not
0: wrong. I think you should get a buzz for that. Hey, okay, hold on. So I, I don't know why Exeter came to me. It's probably because there is an Exeter Academy. So it's called Welton Academy, which is supposed to be in Vermont. Welton. They filmed in Delaware. It's all fict- fictional. Peter Weir, the director, went to a similar all-boys school um they say in the intro basically when like the i don't even know what you call it it's probably like a a, a priest who's had pedophile scandals since then um somebody they announced to Jesus the
2: <laughs>
0: they announced like a, <laughs> yeah no, that's, that's <laughs> that, yeah. That, come that on the, that guy was creepy as fuck that was okay, the dark um, place buzzer Sorry, Dad. Oh um, so they they announced to the like during orientation. Basically, this is a boarding school; where they stay overnight. So they announced at orientation that seventy five percent of their graduates go to Ivy League. So this is basically the perpetuation of white supremacy. That's what it is. Thirty years later, I don't know if that's what they intended it to be at the time. But that's what it is. You cannot tell me yeah, that's, that's not what it is, is dude. No, that's what it is. these are the is. kind of schools. <laughs> no, I, I I teach some. Like at, at,
2: didn't they Didn't they also mention it leads to like the early formation of fraternities, as well?
0: Um. I mean, sure. Like, I wonder. Definitely, graduates of the school ended up in the and bones at Yale. I mean, I don't
2: want to make a comparison uh, between fraternities and white supremacy. I'm not that guy. But uh. right. Well, should we talk? Wait, should we talk? Should we talk now?
0: No, hold on, hold on a second. I'll 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 remember that thought that I just had. So anyway, Uh so it's it's about parental pressures, right? So obviously, this is very different. their pressures when they're at a school in 2020 terms I'm just going to guess with a boarding school the, this school is somewhere between thirty dollars and $40,000 a year to go to per kid uh, at oh, least in 2020 easily. probably easily. probably $40,000 yeah, a year for for high school right? so that's not even including when they get into Ivy League school and they don't have financial aid so obviously these are people who are very well off now this particular kid Robert Charlotte Leonard who's fucking awesome in this movie by the way he is roomed with oh, Ethan Hawke who is the shy kid so good. and they're really fantastic but it's very fraternal a lot of friends hanging out and they have a lot of like study hall um, and they um, have a lot of, it's very rigid. They're learning because it's proven, right? It's tried and true and it's proven to get them into uh, upper graduate schools or whatever, or not upper graduate schools, but elite schools, which is the whole point, yada, 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 the perpetuation of whatever. But then Robin Williams comes in, who is a former graduate of this institution who has gone off and now he's an English teacher. There's a lot of yada, yada going on with Robin Williams and they do something really clever that you could, say, but I I had a couple other ideas of what this is, but Robin Williams, you never see him alone with the exception of about 10 seconds before Robert John Leonard goes in to say he, you know, his dad is giving him trouble with the play. And then about five seconds after he finds out about the death. So, but you never see Robin Williams alone, which is really interesting for a quote unquote leading character. In 2020, they would definitely put him in the supporting category. It's not about the Oscars. Anyway, so he tells them about when they were younger, like poetry, the whole point of poetry is so that you can Sorry. The Jeff whole just point had of poetry earthquake. <laughs> had Jeff earthquake. just felt
1: the poetry. He just felt it. <laughs> so, po-
0: poetry is to remind people why Can you feel you that live. poetry, Jeff. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my anyway, so. The kids find it. out that he was in this—he um, <laughs> was in this club when he was in school called the Dead Poets Society, and the kids are so excited, they're so eager. Now these are the quote-unquote cool kids, by the way. Right? These are the kids who would be wearing the Letterman jacket <laughs> if they had—if they had enough kids in their school to to field a sport. There's probably like thirty kids per class. If they—if they could, they would have Letterman jackets if they were the cool kids. And they're asking Robin Williams, like, "What is the Dead Poets Society?" "Oh my God, what's the Dead Poets Society?" And he goes, basically, it's like he basically says, like, it's—it's it's a gay sex club, right? Did you guys get that? <clears throat>
2: From it. <laughs> come on, no.
1: Buzz, buzz no. Oh my God, come I on.
0: Him, He's buzzed. Come on, sorry dad, we were off oh, to such a God, good start. Dude. Okay, no, 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 where they go to a cake Cave! They go to yeah, a cave to next son. to the lake, and I think he said something like, "Where like the, the 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 pulse of poetry like drips through their soul and like it bleeds through their body, and, and they the just tongue, become yes. alive with poetry and stuff." And it's just very, you know, I, I'm I love poetry. By the way, poetry is fucking great. I like musicals. I'm just saying, it sounds a little it sounds a little like what the Romans did in the baths. You know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, I think it's supposed to,
1: it's supposed to sound (laughs) sexual though. Right. It created that intimacy. Like those kids, there was intimacy in that fucking Indian cave. Yes, (laughs) They were were trained to be men. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, like I said, okay. So I think this movie is beautiful because it's a perfect bridge between like that eighties kind of thing that the eighties movies all did with a, montages and like heavy, heavy needle drops with music and stuff like that. This movie kind of, my, my brother and I were talking about this and I'm going to give him props to this. He, he called it out. It feels like a 90s movie, doesn't it? I don't know if because Peter mm. Weir was involved, but it all these performances, you, you know from the get-go what this movie is going to be about. There is a loose cannon teacher who has come in to really shake things up He might get fired at the end of this. We're not sure what's going to happen. Maybe you don't see the suicide coming, but you know that generally speaking, he's going to go against the grain and get these kids to go against the grain when you think they're being trained to be the next CEOs of the world. So you know what that is from the get-go, and everyone is playing into those archetypes, but the the performances and the direction is so sincere that you don't mind at all you're totally on board. I, I, at least I was. I don't know if you guys felt that way, if it got too cheesy for you, but like nope. there was so much sincerity that I was totally on board. Did, did you Did you guys think that, um, what were you thinking about after, well, I guess, first of all, did, which movie did you watch first? I'm curious. Do the Right Thing or this?
2: I yes. watched Do the Right Thing first.
1: Okay. So how did it influence the way you were watching this? When you saw these young people, I'm not, I'm not, comparing them, I'm not saying, Peter Weir and everyone who was involved with this movie made their own movie. They were not thinking about do the right thing. They were thinking about telling this story. So I'm not saying we should compare them, but I couldn't help but be influenced by having seen do the right thing when I was watching this. What did it make you feel when you were watching these young, very rich white kids surrounded by people who were in the exact same place that they were getting to learn about this higher learning stuff? It kept making me think about, you have to be carefully taught. Roger and Hammerstein, Lyric, teaching about racism and about prejudice. If you have to be carefully taught about how to hate, then I think this movie shows you that you also have to be taught how to find beauty in life and how to seek higher learning and how to kind of lean into that kind of philosophy. So I couldn't help but think about and do the right thing, the opportunities that they did not even have that these kids were just presented with. Um, I don't know. Did you guys? Were you, did you feel any cross emotions? Did it bother you I, at all? Or I did didn't. You able to just totally I didn't get that.
2: I, I was able to totally separate it. Um, I. I mean, I was actually. Uh, I found Robin Williams' performance beautifully subdued in this one. Yes. Um, okay. He was because normally, so he's, yeah, he's a he's a, lo- a loose cannon, and everyone's waiting for him to just go off. But even when he obviously improvised, it was just kept down i did have one joke that i wrote right at the beginning of this uh when it like we got to the first shot and i was like dead poet society or low budget hogwarts <laughs> yeah and yeah, it yeah. turns yeah. <laughs> out the joke was on me because the cinematographer from this film was john seal who filmed the english patient harry potter yep. and the sorcerer's stone and mad max fury yep. road what yep. right john seal's a boss dude. he's he's establishing even his establishing shots were beautiful like this whole film the, that one where he shot where that guy rode the bike
1: down through the birds yeah where he rode down the hill how the fuck did they get that shot with
2: that all they, those geese yeah they, <laughs> that was probably a throw-in it was like hey there's geese there let's let's uh, get that kid on that bike bike. (laughs) i mean even if like and i think i picked this one up from the uh, IMDb trivia but like the the film with ethan Hawke, the shot with ethan Hawke in the snow was supposed to be indoors and they moved it outside the last minute because peter Weir thought it would look better out there and he had one take to do it because it was actually stopping snowing right it looked beautiful where he runs out onto the lake yeah Yeah. so that's cool so like I, i i was able to see this as two completely different movies like i i came in cold because I I actually did uh, do the right thing then Roadhouse then this so there there was a Um. there was a buffer that like I had a little (laughs) palette had a little pallet cleanser (laughs) in between there that uh, kind of made me hope for anything else I mean I
1: I kind of yeah, tell yeah. us, to, Jeff, what are you
0: talking about? I, I did. I, I was able to separate as well, with the exception of the scene where they basically invented hip-hop. I don't know if you remember that scene. They're banging on a drum and saying verse and rhythm. Yeah, good 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 job, guys. You really sound like Public Enemy for sure. Um, I I wrote down that a lot of these scenes really felt like uh, theater. A lot of them reminded me of some Biff and Happy scenes from Death of a Salesman. John, you know a little bit about mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. for sure, um, especially Robert Sean Lennon and Ethan Hawke. Now, a lot of what they're talking about are daddy issues. Ethan Hawke's parents forget what they got him for his birthday last year and Robert Sean Leonard's dad, who's also Kirkwood Smith from that 70s show. You may remind him as Foreman's dad in that 70s show. Um, But yeah, they really felt like these condensed theater scenes. They're really full of life, really full of passion. So it was really, really well, well done. There was only one scene for me that really felt like it was staged poorly. A lot of line crossing, a lot of um, melodrama. And that's the scene where he chases, not he, he um, knocks, who's like the romantic of the group, chases the girl. Out, of, out into the outside, basically. Like, she sees him, yeah. and then she runs outside, and he chases after her. And they're constantly crossing and turning and crossing and turning, and it was very melodramatic. And that's the only scene that didn't land for me. Almost every other scene, even the group scenes, were just done really, really well. They had like a, if you, anybody who knows plays, is the History Boys, which was also made into a film. It had a little bit of that in there, too. Um, And yeah, Robin Williams just sort of becomes this looming character because you don't see him very often where you just sort of know his influence where he's basically just encouraging them to enjoy life. It's it's very simplistic and I appreciated that um, in its nature. And also, Mm. by the way, um, Midsummer Night's Dream the key to a good midsummer night's dream performance you can make your hands look as weird as possible you can do the speech however you want hire a band really the fact that they had that that like orchestra playing the same four chords over and over again on like a lute or whatever really like helped keep that thing moving for sure the audience it really seemed really took happy it up a notch. yeah for sure okay i'm
2: i
1: like what you said about how robin williams is like this looming performance cuz the uh I mean, at that age, you guys, when you're coming of age, and I, I don't want to take away anything from it. Like, I loved this a lot. It made me think of um, the fellowship that, like, J.R. Tolkien talks about. If anyone saw the movie Tolkien, or if you're into that movie Lord of the Rings that we've talked about in this podcast. He grew up in a very similar situation, and he got tons and tons of influence out of his fellowship that he had with these boys at those higher kind of schools that he went to wherever the fuck that was outside of London. And um, Robin Williams... It's a directorial decision and a performance. He understood, apparently Liam Neeson was signed on to play this role, by
0: the yeah. way, until Peter Weir got so hired. So was Dustin Hoffman and, at some point. Ugh,
1: crazy. Dustin, I could totally see. I'm, I'm not saying I, I wouldn't like Liam, but anyway, what I like what Robin chose to do. And I don't know if it was a confluence of them saying, yeah, I feel the same way, or if it was a directorial decision. He presents, for the first time in these young boys' lives, that pebble in your shoe of a contradiction to what you thought you were supposed to do. So I feel like one thing that this movie does structurally that's really interesting is that you think when it begins that you're going to follow Ethan Hawke the whole time,
0: that he is going to be
1: your surrogate, that you're going to be the kid who's nervous and anxious. And he still is a a protagonist, but he's not the protagonist. He's not the only one that you're Mm. following. So I feel like what they did so well, which is why it is definitely in that masterpiece area of filmmaking, They make you recognize that Robin Williams, Ethan Hawke, and Robert Sean Leonard are all going through something that is changing their lives enormously. And Robin Williams' pebble-in-the-shoe kind of presence for these boys is just enough. He's not too overbearing. They only have him one class a day. It's not like yeah. he sees them all the time. It's not like he's seeing them for hours and hours after school as a football coach, the way some great sports movies are. He has them one hour a day, and then he teaches them about poetry, and they leave, and they go talk about it. Yeah, They do such a good job of showing you that one alteration in your mindset can lead to disaster and triumph. Yeah. And I feel like this movie, again, it just does it so sincerely that you cannot help but walk away, even in the midst of the tra- tragedy of the suicide, you cannot help but end this movie without thinking almost everyone except for Robert John Leonard's character is for the better because they have been introduced to that kind of variation in their lives. And that is that is subtle in the in lesser hands that mm. could have been beaten over your fucking head. And I feel like Peter yeah. did a, such a good job with that. Shout out to Australia. Yeah. For, for peter weir that yeah that
2: one's for you dave and uh That's and, and john and john seal as well also australian john fucking seal oh he's australian
1: oh, yeah God damn it dude
2: yeah oh, i mean my, i think my favorite passage that i took out of it was when he was like we must constantly look constantly look at things from a different way and yes. i'm like stand yeah. on your fucking desk everybody yeah. just fucking do this it's it's like yeah, and it, it applies to so many things. It applies to interactions. It applies to life in general. It applies to, like, in my case, when I'm working on a visual effects problem or an editing problem or whatever and I, or, like, trying how to set up a shot and you just sort of take yourself out and look at it from a different perspective. It's the best life advice you will get from anything. It's like yes. you learn to look at it from a different perspective because your initial thought yeah. might not be the right one.
1: Yeah, dude. And Robin Williams, obviously, I think everyone on planet Earth is you know, super sad about what happened to him. It, this yeah. movie, it, it warmed my heart so much.
2: It was good just to see him Just remembering that
1: that man, that man got to play so many roles that are about what life is about. He got to teach us as Hook, as Patch Adams, as John Keating, so many beautiful lessons. And you can tell that guy actually lived his life that way. So just as an actor, as a fan of him and his work, I just it was so beautiful getting to watch this this week. It was... It touched me a lot. I don't know. How about
0: you guys? On the night Robin Williams died, I went to the Dead Poets Bar in the Upper West Side with some friends of ours, Richard wow. McNulty, Chris Kylie, Reed. Yeah, so, and it was really packed. It was really packed. And then the Disney thing where Disney showed a picture of the genie and said, um, genie, you're free. It was like everybody was oh, like, yeah, sharing it at, it at the me. bar and stuff. Um, for but me, yeah, the Dead I, Poets I think I texted bar,
1: out the uh, thank you for believing from Hook.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Crushed it, dude. Yeah. yeah Wonderful yeah, movie. Sure. Go watch this
2: fucking movie, dude. I will will introduce... uh, Yeah, let's keep talking. Yeah, I will introduce one thing. Uh, It's a a new segment I'm trying out this week. It's called How Did the Studio Almost Fuck This Up?
0: Oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) This is a surprise.
2: Yeah, no, it's... No, basically, now I'm starting to look for issues, like instances of studio interference, and uh, touchstone pitches. Apparently, early notes on the script suggested making the boys' passion dancing rather than poetry. As well as a new title called Sultans of Swing, focusing oh, on the character God, of Mr. God. Keating rather than the boys <laughs> themselves. And they literally just threw that out. Like, they were like, no. Holy fuck off shit. over there. Yeah. Like, could you imagine?
1: Tom Shulman submits this script and they were like, we love it, but we think it should be about yeah. dancing. Wait, not wait, wait.
2: <laughs> what if they danced? This no. is oh,
1: 1989. God, so yeah. Why? Why isn't he a jazz dance teacher? I don't. I don't yeah, you know. Well, I
2: mean, Dirty Dancing had just dropped a couple of years before and was a smash hit, so I guess it was all the rage. I don't know. Dissolve oh, the patriarchy, but like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna try. Like, I'm gonna try and find these and like the actual notes the studio gave on some of these, if I can, on a weekly basis. We won't always not necessarily always find them, but uh, yeah, that was uh, how did the studio almost fuck up that one. <laughs> Yeah,
0: that, that would have done it. Salsa? Imagine if this is about salsa. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What's your uh, did right. you guys
1: have a did you have a standout um performance from the young guys? Did you have a standout scene? Is there something that has kind of been resonating with you? Just quotes or anything?
0: I think you know, I I actually I'm not hard on Ethan Hawk at all. Ethan Hawk's awesome. He probably could have an Oscar for a number of things, including boyhood. I thought he was great in boyhood. But this yeah, is a really, was. really great Ethan Hawk performance. I mean, yeah, as subtle and naturalistic as the before series, I guess you could say. Um, but he really didn't push. He didn't try to fight for his spot in the limelight or anything, but he also didn't sulk. Like he did a really, really nice very three-dimensional introvert and that's really difficult to do especially in a movie where you're surrounded by extroverts like he did a really 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 nice job Ethan Hawke really stood out but Robert Sean Leonard for sure is the basically the lead of the film amazing what about you Dave
2: yeah Well as far as I'm concerned like there wasn't a bad performance in this film I feel like Peter Weir pulled everything he needed to out of every single person that was on camera
0: right that's true mm-hmm. Meeks was so funny
2: mm-hmm. yeah I did like yeah. uh I, it was uh I can't remember where I read it but uh they actually got the boys to room together before the shoot yeah. to generate the yes. camaraderie but then Ethan when, Hawk when he, about that yeah and when he commits when he commits suicide that guy was gone from the set Oh my god Wow because, they removed because, Robert because, yeah, John because they filmed the, they they shot in chronological order so when yeah, they I got to that, when yeah. they got to the suicide scene he was off set he was gone
0: Man. so they actually Ooh. they
2: had an actual loss
0: that's cool,
1: wow. John. Yeah. What about you? I uh, and I agree with you. I think Jeff. I, I'm glad you pointed that out because that that there are a couple scenes in here that feel a little over directed and they're, they're they're just not as good as the rest of it. The way. They're, they're, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. No, that's that's the pod. That's the pod. But it's true. Um, there are a few scenes when the guys are talking to Knox about the girl that feel a little like maybe they talked about girls like that in the 1950s. Maybe maybe that's how they. They talked about the idea of flirting and stuff. Uh, There was one before he called her that got me a little bit. When he sees her outside, I felt a little bit like, oh, this is kind of weird and feels a little performed. Um, I think it's cliche, but it's still probably the moment that hit me the hardest when Ethan Hawke is spouting his poetry. When Robin, the moving camera around them, when they're spinning with him. And he's like, what do you think? He's a cold tooth madman. The blanket that can't cover your feet, you know, just the way the look on Robin's face when he finally cracks that kid who was too scared to do anything, and how casually before the scene before that, how casually he's like, You're, uh, "Don't mind him, he's just scared of everything. He's scared of everything, and he doesn't think he's worth anything." Did you notice in just that? How,
2: did you notice in that scene when he was struggling, the camera was spinning around him, but the second he found his footing, the camera stopped and they boom. spun. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that scene is a fucking masterclass and
1: how to show yeah. character because again like he's you're right playing an introvert like how do you show who an introvert is without playing into like oh this person doesn't talk very much and they're still how kinetic did they make the camera movement to show you exactly what you needed to feel and then same yeah. thing it froze on him and then it froze on robin mm. when he was getting to watch it i thought it was just well they, they did the same thing
2: out. they did the same thing with the uh the lecturers as well some of the t- all the teachers were in long drawn out one shots where yeah. they're just walking up and down the classroom and right. then Rob and then Robin turns up and it's cut, 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 cut. Like it was more dynamic. <laughs> well how can you keep alive? up with him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they say,
0: Robin, we miss you. You left frame. We gotta get you a pickup. <laughs> um what do you what do you think? I do have one suggestion. The endings of these movies are always sort of up in the air, which I guess is good for them because it kind of leaves you kind of thinking and wanting more, but um, for those of you who haven't seen this on TV a million times when you grow up, at the end of the film, they, Robin Williams goes to get his stuff because he's leaving. Um, and the kids all, you know, try to stand up on their desks to show their solidarity. Wouldn't it be more powerful if they all started, like, reciting poetry or something? Maybe that would be too cluttered. But they all just said, they just stood on their desks and that was it. Which is nice. But, like, for me in 2020, I'm kind of like, yeah, but that didn't accomplish anything. Do you know what I mean? Like, except for saying, like, thank you. But Robin Williams sort of already knew that. Like, yeah. I wish it proved that was all that had left them something. I know, but I wish they proved that he that he taught them something. He did. Instead, they basically just said, "Thank you." Oh, I think he, he did. did. I think He did. He did. I don't yeah, know.
2: he he stood on. They stood on. Their I was going to mention. They, like, I was going to say maybe the other teacher is screaming at them to sit down, and they're like, "No, fuck you! I'm standing on my desk." They're thinking. They for them, seen, thinking for they themselves. They look the world differently.
1: Yeah, they look at the world differently now. And I love the last line. It's just, "Thank you, boys." Cut to black. Great. That's, yeah. It's like that's all anyone got out of this. Who knows what happens to everybody's lives after this is all over? Right. A teacher got through. And then those kids' lives are changed. They're probably gonna get expelled for standing on their desks. But yeah. <laughs> who knows?
0: Wow. Great. Okay, cool. Okay, good. Got me talking about that. But Ted Poets is great. We gotta move on because we need to save some time for Roadhouse. Yes, we'll so Roadhouse. Dave. Roadhouse. Let's uh do the generation here, huh? Is that not it? No. Yeah. Let's do the let's generate let's, our let's new film here for next week.
2: Bring up our random number ma'am. Okay, so I really hope we have some
0: good films to watch for next year, and then, they better be
2: on streaming. <laughs> next year, the next year we're gonna do dramatic. I like dramatic. Nineteen seventy-three.
0: Oh shit! Oh my god! This year, oh, I'm excited. Oh, I'm Before so you do anything, anything from the
1: seventies, dude, I'm excited. We're gonna be right back. We can't wait. We're gonna fucking talk about all the movies of 1973. We're gonna take like 15 minutes, and then we'll get back to you in like 30 seconds.
0: <laughs> and we're back.
2: We're back. Ah. <laughs> oh
0: my Jeez. gosh. So our our random year generator has picked 1973, which features some incredible films. I'm going to I'm going to name Whoa, yeah. I'm going to name my favorite category at the Oscars of all time. It is it it just narrowly beats out the best supporting actor of 2012 category in my mind. Here we go. Best actor for the 1973 film year. Marlon Brando. Who? Jack Nicholson. <clears throat> Dude, you can't buzz me in the middle of my bit. Fuck. <laughs> Marlon Brando for for Last Tango in Paris. Jack Nicholson, The Last Detail. Al Pacino for Serpico. Robert Redford for The Sting. And the winner, Jack Lemmon for Save the Tiger. Now, those are five Hall of Famers right there. Now, there's no De Niro in there. There's no Hoffman, no Hackman. But that is a really fucking good year. We're talking about The Way We Were. Uh, Paper Moon is a surprisingly good film. We've got American Graffiti. We've got uh cries and whispers exorcist the sting the last hango in paris what other movies did you guys see
1: oh my god cries and whispers came out that year
0: yeah i didn't see that on my list holy shit
1: fuck <laughs> can we switch one of our movies to do that no once,
2: no <laughs> not go through that again
1: <laughs> so al pacino was not nominated for serpico is that what you're saying he
0: what he was he was on the list he was yeah he was oh okay shit sure. Anyway, so we're going to tell uh, you which three films we pick at the end of this. Oh, Robin Hood. You do love Robin Hood, for sure.
2: Yes. So Robin Hood's great. Hood. Uh,
1: the Long Goodbye,
2: Robert Altman. Oh, yeah. Westworld um, came out that year. Westworld,
1: Westworld. Michael Crichton's Restworld. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there were there were two others that we were just chit-chatting about that I can't fucking remember.
0: Yeah. fucking. Anyway. We're going to move on <laughs> anyway. with our bi- segment. Okay, so now we've gotten to our Redemption podcast. Or was it really that bad? We are talking here about...
2: roadhouse roadhouse
0: Roadhouse. oh my gosh this is patrick swayze not too long after dirty dancing and he is a cooler who's basically the head bouncer of a bar who gets like paid way (laughs) he gets paid so much money holy god he gets paid he's like five hundred dollars a night cash in 1989 what how much were the beers they were buying five
2: thousand up front five hundred a night plus you pay medical
0: yeah, plus his medical yeah. bills, which apparently are expensive. Yeah. I mean, so he goes to um, the middle of a bar in shit. I can't remember now. Missouri, Illinois. My, I don't have my notes up. They, they close yeah. on me. Um, here, I'm going to give you the tagline, all right? Here are the taglines. Hired to tame a rowdy Missouri bar. have my answer there. A PhD bouncer, Patrick Swayze, romances a doctor, Kelly Lynch, and tames the whole town. Wait, here's another one. <laughs> Dalton lives like a loner, fights like a professional, and loves like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> also, oh, they, within the first they, like they minute, the shit
2: out of this one.
0: <laughs> within the first minute of this film, somebody kicks a girl in the crotch on a stool and like knocks her over. I mean, it is it is absurd. Dave, do you want to do the do I do the thing here?
1: Yeah. Yeah. On that note, let's fucking go for it.
2: Yeah, I mean... <laughs> There's a little bit let, of the trailer. Just, just to give you an idea of what you're in for, this this was the trailer that uh, described the movie back in 89. Uh, he may be hard to handle. I keep talking, <laughs> you're going to go off thinking I'm a nice guy. I know you're not a
0: nice guy.
2: But he's easy to like.
0: What's the matter, Dalton? Don't
2: you like women? <laughs> Worst I ever had was wonderful. He's not what you'd expect. I
0: thought you'd be bigger. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they literally gave away all the best but gags in the film you can count on he's the best friend a good time ever had oh, okay, okay look, i'm gonna stop it there. i'm gonna say he's the best friend a good time ever had what the uh. fuck I'm looking, I'm looking at one of, here's the
1: tagline i just found uh in reference to his success in dirty dancing the tagline is the dancing is over now it gets dirty
0: does it say does
2: it it, it say who wrote that because they can drink (laughs) oh
1: my god Um, that is so
0: there are this has this has truly one of the best like final death lines of all time it is one of my favorite villain lines of all time i'm gonna go ahead and spoil the villain line sorry dad here's the one of my favorite villain lines of all time I used to fuck guys like you in prison.
1: Oh my God. I know that a lot. I was like, where did that come from?
0: Yeah. Oh my God. Even their office meetings had a fucking knife fight. Literally. They were just like at the bar, like in the office. And they're like, we need to talk about um, the management that's going on here. And they're like, yeah, I just don't think it's working out between us. And he goes, oh yeah. Boom. Like multiple knives came out in a fucking office fight. Um, He loved to read. He did a lot of Tai Chi. Here's another thing I'll say. Um, They have so many broken glasses in this. Like, I guess everybody's just drinking bottles, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody's getting the five cents back on their deposit (laughs) in Roadhouse. (laughs) Also, how many tables do they have? So they're all high top, like, you know, circular tables. And every single night, every single night that we saw in this film, at least one table was just decimated in half by somebody getting just completely body slammed on it you
1: can only throw someone into a high talk table that is the rule in this movie
0: all right so let's talk about the plot of the movie, I guess. So Patrick Swayze goes to this new bar. He's he's gonna run it his way, which includes being nice to people, I guess. <laughs> and then it turns out that the town is basically run by a terrorist gangster organization. So he basically has to like be the protector of the entire town. And people wonder what he's in it for. Um, he's also best friends with the band, and the band is fucking awesome. It's the lead singer and guitarist is a, this blind guy that plays these covers uh, all night. That's and it's that's actually the awesome. that's
2: that's the Jeff Healey band. The the Jeff, Jeff Healy, Healy band, band yeah. yeah. It was the yeah. first time I'd ever heard Jeff Healy band. I I, I listened it to them so from cool. that point on.
0: Um he also does still have his uh signature Patrick Swayze half mullet, which I do really wonder how that how the little trickles of hair feel on the back of his neck, just like those little tiny
2: trickles in the back of his neck. I mean neck from there. from the look of everyone's hair in that film, fucking rock solid. You could cut paper with it. I think it feels yeah. I think it feels amazing, Jeff. I think that's shout what it out
0: feels. Shout out to Sam Neal, who plays his uh friend from the old bar, who kind of follows him to the new Sam Elliot. He's working. Sam Elliot, not Sam Neil. Yes. Sam, Sam Elliot.
2: Yeah. yeah, he's not. He's not a velociraptor. He's awesome.
0: He also gets a good crotch shot in there. You're right. He also gets <laughs> Sam Elliot. Sam Elliot gets a good crotch shot. Crock shot in whole this lot book. of good crotch um, shots
1: and jeans in this movie. <laughs> <sharing>.
0: Seriously, <laughs>
2: seriously, was everybody going fucking commando in this film? Whole lot of bulging oh, yeah. <laughs> in this
1: movie, you guys. There is yeah. a whole lot of Wrangler bulge. Just so you
0: know, not does not treat the women particularly well, with the exception of the female doctor but every single woman at any point could just like rip her clothes off and start either dancing or fighting or something. (laughs) But no adequately explained reason. Who who cares about the plot? This is what (laughs) I wrote down for this movie.
1: I wrote down, I wrote down five things during this movie, Mm -hmm. Tai Chi, monster trucks, philosophy, parentheses, man's search for faith and that kind of
0: shit. <laughs> that's a quote. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> that's a quote.
1: Another line, uh, nobody ever wins a fight. That's his philosophy, you guys. And yeah. takedown by a taxidermy polar bear.
0: <laughs> yes. That... That. Also, the way he does it, it's like a full Austin Powers where the guy sees the truck coming and goes, no! no! For like 10 no! seconds. That That bear is falling for minutes it's yeah. for so long so and that guy just like, <laughs>
1: he's a ninja he's a ninja philosopher cooler loner there's
0: also i mean they took they a, took
1: like every cool genre of the 80s and they were like fuck it we can set this in yeah, watch yeah we trash can America. we can put them all we in can do it's this. fine yeah <laughs> yeah we can just exactly like right. shove it all
2: together all right I, I have a few more notes than you okay oh, oh, good I said, <laughs> wait Note? first 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 yeah. how many
1: checks did you give it or po- what's your point system
2: Oh, the X's? No, I don't do that anymore. It didn't. <laughs> oh, it didn't on. make sense. And, uh, <laughs> this would actually get probably about eight or nine because oh, like, this least. this used to be one of my guilty pleasures, and it like it is. We actually watched this as a family in this house last night, and yeah, there were so many. Like as they mentioned earlier, there's a very famous Family Guy piss take of this, so the roadhouse like lines were flying roadhouse. thick and solid all around the the house for the night, but. Like some of the notes I wrote is okay, nobody's hair moves a lick in this film. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting note. Good like, note. It's Good note. perfect. Yeah. Fucking Hurricane Katrina could be happening, and that hair is still gonna stay exactly where it is. <laughs>
1: Except for when Sam
2: Elliott walks in after getting yeah. beat up and <laughs> yes. Patrick Tracy's like right. trying to push his hair back. This this movie has some of the best dialogue and also some of the worst dialogue within minutes of each other. <laughs> What's the difference in this movie? You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's it's all the same. Well, I give I'll give you like Sam Elliott, the man literally can deliver anything you give him with style. In the, yeah. in the bar I'm working in, there's a sign over the urinal saying "Don't eat the big white mint." <laughs> he manages to say this with a completely straight face and like total class. This uh, this movie contains one of the most awkward and impractical sex scenes I've seen outside of a comedy yeah that was an awkward sex that scene. was an awkward sex like and apparently the role of Doc uh, Annette Benning was originally cast and Kelly, wow. Kelly Lynch took over apparently due to a lack of chemistry between like Patrick Swayze and Benning. and I'm like what's up with Swayze you hear this I, all the time with Swayze's. It, I mean if, if if she was the replacement like an improvement on the chemistry I shudder to think what the earlier fucking scenes look like mm. Yeah, they were awful. It was also like exactly
1: like trying to be the love scene in Dirty Dancing when uh oh, yeah. Cryin is playing. They were like, Let's use that other song that sounds yeah. like Crying.
2: <laughs> I mean it, yeah. it has it has <laughs> no, it was, um <laughs> Yeah. It, it has some it was, in it, though. It's uh,
1: Otis Redding. These arms, These arms are mine. Yeah. It's, it's actually yeah, the same yeah. song.
2: I no, believe they no, use no, that no. in Dirty Dancing as No, well. that's what I'm
1: saying. It sounds th- yeah. that song is used in Dirty Dancing, but the love scene is yeah. the song called
0: is Don't yeah. you feel
1: like crying Crying. Yeah. anyway it's like the same fucking thing Oh, hungry thing. eyes or whatever
0: <laughs> oh, oh my god it's green. so good yeah. um like also this, this, this is directed by
2: a guy whose name is Rowdy it's good enough Rowdy kind of John that.
1: <laughs> no, that, too. This, this, that's
2: dude this fantastic. film cements the theory also that any guy <laughs> is turning up riding the back of a pickup truck is not going to end well <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's his biggest is awful. wisdom this is like this is like yeah. white
1: trash godfather shit like here's, this
2: is here's the thing though like the 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 villain like the main bodyguard that the the bad guy has is this guy that just stands around and looks kind of menacing and awkward at the same time for about you know an hour of this film and then all of a sudden for no reason the guy sends his girlfriend up to dance and she probably takes all her fucking clothes off and dances around the stage for no reason whatsoever very strange and yeah she comes down uh he's not into that cool we're going to move on from there so the bad guy decides to pick a fight with all the th- and totally turns into a full fucking ninja Ninja. ninja, pretty it's, much. I wrote down ninja too, yeah, dude. Pretty yeah. much because we haven't had a fight in 20 minutes. This guy's gonna bust out a pool cue and like whip everyone's ass with it. It's, it's what? Is...
0: Oh,
1: I gotta be honest though, you guys. So I, I was, I kind of, I was apprehensive about watching this. I had never seen it before, somehow in my American uprising.
0: Yeah. Uh, uprising I, yeah. uprising yeah,
1: Freudian that's, slip. that's basically what i've become no i'm angry and i'm here i fucking loved this movie it yeah. was
2: so I'm, entertaining I'm I, on I, it, was, but it is fun
1: oh my god i had so much fun i love good bad movies and this is a really hilarious, that's, entertaining, that's what this is, yeah. bad movie. It did not lose me. I never, I was yeah. never totally lost, even the bad sex scene. I was like, whatever. And then we yeah. just moved right on, and it was totally I would, I want to
2: know what the oil budget was because Patrick was shiny. Oh, my They're God, that shiny. Tai Chi scene. They were like,
1: <laughs> get more oil on that man's back. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: there was there <laughs> was one uh, one scene in the barn. I think it was uh, Sam Elliott and Patrick Swayze in the barn at the top. And you can see the sunlight streaming in through the open door that looks down, and it's actually quite fucking funny because if you look at the side of their face and then you look at the trees outside, the sun's on the other side of the tree.
1: Yeah, there were a lot of <laughs> it's, continuity it's, issues, but we let it go.
2: Yeah, we added, to, you know, that's that's hope- that's being really picky. Everything else, like it, it was really classic of course they
1: had i know he shot him in the shoulder but of course ben gazar is like fucking twice his age had to somehow match him in skill at the end of that movie (laughs) when they were fighting each other i was like he just hit that 71 year old in the face as
0: hard as he could (laughs) that guy
1: that guy is dead Um, but it it didn't matter i didn't care it
0: took him four shots with a shotgun to finally die
1: What, are, what about <laughs> Emmett? Yeah, that last shot when he just... He's fine. There, he doesn't he even have a red face. goes airborne. <laughs> he in the eye.
2: <laughs> what about Emmett, the guy that puts him up? Like, a fire starts in the house, and then the whole... Was he cooking meth? That house he was exploded. Totally fine. Like, and he, was, a, he was totally the, fine. And yeah. he was totally fine. Completely covered yeah. in his pajamas. He was, he was, yeah, he was He was wearing safety pajamas and cooking meth, That's right. and something went horribly wrong, and the house exploded. I just love
1: you guys. The mm. fact that... Like, they mentioned it. They did... This is why this movie is great. This is the essence of this movie. You find out that Patrick Swayze's character has murdered a man with his bare hands by tearing his throat out. You find Ripped that out Ripped his early throat on.
0: right out. Killed a guy you once. Ripped that his throat early right on. out. And, so,
1: and it's like, and then they bring it up again. It's like he can't escape his past. And then he does it. He fucking rips that guy's throat out. And you're like, yeah. oh shit. That's like how he kills. And then the last moment when he's about to kill Ben Gazzar, he puts his hand into like a tiger. Like yeah. he's going to rip yeah. his throat out.
2: Yeah, he's, he's going <laughs> to Oh, like my this, God. This, It's got, like, all five fingers going. Like, I nearly yeah. jumped out of my chair. I'm, I'm like, fucking awesome. spider. Patrick, it don't rip like, his throat out. Don't do it.
0: It looked like, gonna, it looked like, gonna, like it was, in Dumb and Dumber when Jim Carrey rips the guy's heart straight out. Like, it looked yeah. like that.
2: I'm going to attack you with the hand spider of oh, death. my God. You
1: guys, it was so fucking was funny. And then, is, I don't know if you I noticed mean, this. might catch this? The very end, the last... Fucking scene for no reason at all. Patrick is skinny dipping with his girlfriend. Doc. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. And there's somebody sitting on the shore. There's somebody oh, yeah, sitting right that.
2: there on the shore of the lake, and bit. they dive in naked.
0: <laughs> guys, does, don't we all want to skinny dip with and then, an audience? And, but <laughs> then it's
2: like, oh, well, okay, maybe that's guy—that guy's watching us, so we'll go under the water and bang. I don't that's think right. they thought yeah. that right. through. They have not like, how do we end through. this movie. Yeah. Let's
1: just get them making out naked in a lake. I do not how end this movie.
2: How this do we is... end this movie? <laughs> let's drown the main actors. <laughs> this yeah.
0: this movie's so funny. You you know what the best part about it, this movie is watching it. Just you, you can't watch this movie and not think about how much how like clever the filmmakers were trying to be. So there's a scene where like a motorcycle is trying to get away, and you see Patrick Swayze running, and you're like, okay, so Patrick Swayze is going to take this guy out. How's he going to do it? Oh, I know. He's going to find him on a foothill where like the the the, the shoulder of the road is higher than the actual road itself and then he's going to tackle the guys so that the motorcycle keeps going forward And even though the two guys mm. are tackled off. There's also another scene where you could see a guy like lining up a big gun at a car that's coming at him. And he's just waiting for the right moment. And the car just goes fully airborne. And you know they're going to blow that car up in the middle of the sky. And this it car gets your- it's idiot. like the It is straight, it is straight <laughs> oh. out of Die Hard. It is straight and out of Die Hard. This car is midair and it gets you blown You know up. why that happened though? Roadhouse. <laughs> Roadhouse.
2: <laughs> yeah, Jeff, it sounds, like this guy. it
1: sounds like you're questioning Dalton. Which is uh, mistake number one. Yes, so you're trying to get your throat ripped one. Down. Questioning Dalton. I love how I'm they nice have the little anything. fight on the beach. There's a little beach by the lake where they finally throw down the sand. It was very important to the choreography, them getting yes. thrown around on that sand. And then he drags his body into the lake and he screams, Wesley!
2: <laughs> the thing that gets me is that that guy had a gun the whole time. I know. He had, <laughs> what's he waiting for? <laughs> it's like if you had no, a gun in your backpack, no, would you wait? I'm sorry, <laughs> if I if I'm a bad guy and I've just blown up someone's house, possibly murdered someone, I get tackled off my bike. No, I'm going to possibly take a couple of punches punches in the face from a kung fu expert, but, and not use the gun in my ankle.
1: Unbelievable. <laughs> and I also love how. Patrick Swayze, not picking on Patrick. It was wonderful seeing him. In all all sincerity, I love seeing that guy on camera. I miss Patrick Swayze. I I liked him as an actor. He's so charming. But his fucking, all of his kicks, he had the most beautiful (laughs) point. Anyone who dances, that man had the most beautiful pointed toes. And all of his (laughs) kicks, they looked fucking gorgeous. They didn't look violent, but they looked beautiful. The execution really got me...
0: Uh, All all of the
1: supporting characters were perfectly cast, you guys. How did they find that many fucking redneck people to play these parts? (laughs) Everyone. Emmett, every every guy that had a shotgun, basically, in that last scene was fucking... I I know those people. I grew up in a small town in the south. I fucking have seen those people around town. Emmett, Burt, Red. What was the guy who owned the auto shop? Red Burt or something? Yeah, yeah, Red. (laughs) I mean hanker dalton emmett wade Uh, unbelievable this script who wrote
2: this well well, actually it's funny you should (laughs) david lee henry and hillary hankin and there is if you haven't had enough roadhouse two last call
1: oh my god and it was pretty
2: and it was pretty much the last thing that guy ever wrote
1: last call god that is right there he said i'm gonna
0: just make the obvious jeff is Joyce, furiously looking this up because like, he wants more <laughs> oh yeah how did i miss this also there was a female writer which is something to note yeah
2: community.
0: had a bunch of flops until she finally wrote wag the dog for de niro and hoffman in 1997 but before that it's just like 13 percent, 23 24 um her name's Hilary hankin um wow roadhouse guys rest 39 it says it's either basically it's like is it so bad it's good and i guess the answer is yes. yes i mean i had a fucking great time so what is this but in deep roadhouse country um there isn't a whiff of romance anywhere get the fuck out of here who is this los angeles times sheila benson get the fuck out of here what results instead <laughs> is a monstrous hybrid A grotesquely, implausible, oversized character. That's the whole point of the movie. Wait, I don't understand how they're saying the reason (laughs) it's bad is the point of the movie. Come on.
1: Sheila, if you're listening, I think you went into Roadhouse trying to take it seriously,
0: which is... This is from 2019. That's that's your your
1: fucking fault.
0: (laughs) I don't (laughs) understand what you thought
1: about that. (laughs) What did you think was going to happen? Patrick Twizy plays a bouncer, philosopher, Tai Chi, martial arts ninja, <laughs> master.
0: Wait, you know what's funny for me is this doesn't make any... So she said there's basically not a single jot of common sense. For me, the whole reason this is happening is because this guy is being offered so much money. So how would you say no? This guy is a bouncer is making like almost $200,000 a year. Like, how do you say no to that? All he has to do is, yeah, like that's in Missouri. I mean, he, he's going to be owning it. Like, I mean, if they were basically like, why are you doing it? And he's like, I do it for fun. Yeah, that would seem like bullshit, but
2: he's very well paid. I mean, the, a lot of people do worse I, for more money. The gets me as well they're, they're like rock stars. Everybody knows who they are. Right, yeah. right, right, I know. Well. I love it's how like, they're famous. How
1: are they so, famous? Yeah. <laughs> what do the people? How do how do just patrons of the bar know there,
2: about these guys from a different state? Yeah. is it like a top forty uh, top forty cooler chart or oh. something?
0: Mm. Oh, you know that bouncer from a different state who works he at a local even have roadside a last bar? Name. Whoa,
2: he doesn't yeah. even
1: have a last name. His name is Pete. Dalton. That's it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, is
1: that fucking Pete? All right, I got that Let's That I'm is, a, that is actually
2: out. it's his, that is actually his last name. His first name is James.
1: Oh shit! There you go. See, I'm learning so much. See, yeah, Rome la- has layers. When, when they open, and I didn't know. Yeah, <laughs> when they open his
2: medical records, it shows it.
1: Uh, I'm gonna just say it. Sam Elliott made me a little hot under the collar. That man yeah. was fucking handsome in 1989. That yeah. hair was unbelievable, dude. When was he? The voice, he looked man. Great. Just, hmm. That scene yeah, when he comes out so when they're kicking Patrick's ass. When they has got the legal drink delivered, he's like, yeah. how you boys do it? You yeah. know, just like, what's going on here? You know, Oh, my God. Just yeah. Everything I want out of a shitty movie. Do you think do you think Con Air was like, what did Roadhouse do? <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think like movies like that from the 90s were like, what did That's Roadhouse do? Yeah. Was that one of the first good, bad action movies? I mean,
2: Con Air definitely has Don't Touch the Bunny. That's right. <laughs> <up there.
1: laughs>
2: I told you not to touch the bunny.
1: <laughs> oh my god! I loved it. I didn't think um, I was gonna love it. I was shocked. I laughed so it, much. It,
2: yeah, it's, it's, it's fun, so much fun. It's fun. I was it never. Is, it is one of those ones down. you invite round people round and put it on for a laugh. Yeah, I don't think that's what I the agree. filmmakers the intended. Funny, the but fighting is great too, the, dude. The, oh, oh, the, the is good. good. <laughs> a lot of a lot of those guys did their own stunts too, but they had like thirty odd stuntmen on t- on site as well. And I think Just the guy the guy who ran him through the fight choreography had like nine black belts in different styles. Holy shit. I mean yeah. at, some shit. In so some, at some so point, at some some point, so the of stunts life, were phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> the stunt was were phenomenal. We love that guy. He was awesome. Do you
1: think <laughs> um, that guy, the, the henchman for Ben Ghazar, who said, I fuck guys like you in prison, do you think he learned martial arts in prison? Like where did they learn how to fight like that?
2: I, yeah. It had I to be don't in know. prison.
0: Where yeah, we're we're honestly, who was the knife salesman in town? I, I really can't get over it. Like they all had very different, very unique, and very sharp knives. Yeah, that hardware store had like delivery on point. Yeah, <laughs> you would th- Red. Red would have been like, sorry, this is my fault. Like you, would have yeah. thought Red would have been like. <laughs>
1: oh my god right. yeah there was also like that town was as big as those establishments the establishments it, yeah. we saw yeah. where, where do they live that by
2: the way the did you see why, wait why wait, is i have the a auto, why, single, why is the no auto parts store next to the bar hon, uh, the bar
1: there was the wick there was <laughs> the, the reds it. the auto place the roadhouse and, the and the then there are two mansions
0: but there wasn't like a there wasn't like a street there, there was no like suburb, like <laughs> there no, like houses with tire swings and backyards. Jasper, yeah. what state?
1: What, ta- what is Jasper? What what state is it? Take Missouri. Place in? Missouri. Jasper, Missouri. Mm, we're yeah. coming for you, Jasper. Shout us out if anybody's listening from Jasper, Missouri. Tell me if there's a suburb or uh uh oh my, a, a, a craning farms or a, or a just a homes. Acres. Give me a house. <laughs>
2: tell me oh if there's God. a desert, because there was God, a lot of guys. desert there.
0: <laughs> This is a lot of desert. Guys, this has been fun. Go see Roadhouse. We're, we're just like trying to, we're, we're literally trying to milk all the juice out of the lemon here. Just go yeah. see it for yourselves. It's really fucking fun. So I mean, um, we did. All we the bouncers look like they were. This. All the bouncers look like they work for Chip and Chippendales. It's ridiculous. It's so stupid. <laughs> they have a net in front of the band so people don't throw bar- like beer bottles at it. It's wild. That's it. That was our week. 1989. What a weird year. Really fucking fun stuff. Ups and downs and lefts and rights all over the place. Um, Roadhouse is a financial success, by the way. So yeah. well, it became a cult we are going to wrap up. And thank you, Family Guy, for always reminding us to just keep an eye on some some classics there. All right. We're going to finish up our segment with introducing the three films we're going to be talking about in 1973. Probably films that, if you know anything about 1973, you would not necessarily think we would choose. So, we are going to choose The Exorcist. We are going to take another look at that. I have a feeling many of you have seen it, but you know what? Maybe it needs another look. It's been a while, perhaps. We are also going to look at. No, this is really fucking fun. Enter the Dragon. That is right. Bruce fucking Lee. We're going to be talking about Bruce Lee on here. We decided not to talk about Mean Streets or any of the other romance movies that came out this year. We're talking Exorcist. We're talking Enter the Dragon, Little Kung Fu. This and, one's for you, Quentin Tarantino.
2: <laughs>
0: and you're going to round it out with, was it really that bad, with Live and let Die, Paul McCartney's hit song, and a film that is like, do we miss Sean Connery
2: as James Bond? It's a it's a, it's a <laughs> film that was a, a, a member of a very popular franchise that we kind of shunned.
0: That's still going on. Somehow yeah. it survived these. So, so we're going to take yeah. another look at Live and Die. Those are the three films we're talking about. Any final words, my friends? It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. That Roadhouse. Fun. That was a good week. Roadhouse. <laughs> Roadhouse. All right, we'll see you I next week. I fuck guys like Ben's. you in prison. Come on, dude. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even Come fixing on. that close. <laughs> Sorry dad